Extraordinary districts in extraordinary times. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth. And this is Tangi Reed Marshall. We're from the Education Trust, a national education advocacy organization that works to ensure that all children get a great education, no matter what their background. In this podcast, we talk with educators we know are thoughtful and effective to hear how they are meeting the unprecedented challenge of educating children during the twin crises of a worldwide pandemic and a national reckoning over deeply entrenched racial injustice. In the spring of 2020, we produced 19 podcasts talking with superintendents and principals about how they had managed the sudden shutdown of schools in March and what they were planning for the fall. Well, It's fall, and we are back to talk about how things are going. For anyone who's wondered where we've been since the end of June and now, Tanji has been working with schools and districts to help them think about their curriculum and assignments, and I was working on the manuscript of a book that Harvard Education Press will publish in the spring. They just settled on the title and are allowing me to share it, Districts That Succeed, Breaking the Correlation Between Race, Poverty, and Achievement. The book takes as its starting off point the first two seasons of the Extraordinary Districts podcast in which I profiled districts that are either high-performing or rapidly improving that serve children of color and children living in poverty. During this season of Extraordinary Districts, we'll be talking to some of the leaders of those extraordinary districts. But today we're talking with some folks from my previous book, Schools That Succeed. I'm really happy to welcome Sergio Garcia, principal of Artesia High School in the ABC Unified District in Los Angeles County, California. He joined us for a couple of conversations in the spring, and I'm dying to hear how he and his school are doing this fall. Those of you who subscribe and listen to the promo for this season were invited to fill out a survey, and quite a few of you said you would like to hear a larger variety of voices in this season, not just superintendents and principals, but also teachers, students, parents. We're going to work to do that, and today I'm really happy to say that Sergio is joined by two teachers. William Napier is the chair of the Special Education Department, and Stephanie Palutsky is acting dean. One of the unusual features of ABC Unified District is that it has a long-standing partnership with the Teachers Union, a local of the American Federation of Teachers. William and Stephanie are the school's union representatives. In addition, Polutsky is the district union's vice president for special education. I haven't talked with them since I was doing research for schools that succeed, and I'm thrilled that they're able to join us. How are you and your families doing? Doing well. We're hanging in there, living day by day. So Los Angeles has gone up and down in terms of the coronavirus. In the last figures I saw, the, the county, I, I was actually stunned when I realized Los Angeles County has had 300,000 cases 
of coronavirus. Almost 7,000 people have died. Have our Tisha students or staff members been affected by the virus directly? I can tell you that I'm not aware of any staff members that have been affected directly, uh, but I am aware of several of our families that we serve that have been affected. Um, some of them have gone as far as um, some of their relatives passing away mm-hmm. even the, because of the virus. But um, it's, been, it's been an interesting time. And they we're doing well, we're working really hard. So this has been a very interesting time for all of us. Uh, that is not a Chinese curse, <laughs> or it purports to be a Chinese curse to live in interesting times. So can you lay a, uh, Sergio, can you lay out for us what Artesia has been doing this fall? You're all remote, I think, um, if I understood correctly. Are, you, are some people back in the building? How is it, how is it all working? I can tell you that we started, and we started last spring when we first came out, and we were completely asynchronous. As we came back in the fall, we came back virtually. So there are, yes, it is remote instruction, but teachers are meeting with the students twice a week for 70 minute periods of time. Um, I can tell you that it's going well. The instruction that I'm seeing is really good instruction. However, it's taking a big toll on the teachers. I can tell you that the teachers are very tired and they'll tell you themselves how high intensity is because people don't realize every time that you're in front of a camera, you're not just teaching, now you're acting. It is an incredible amount of mental stress that kind of comes, goes into place for the teachers. And having to plan lessons that you're not delivering in front of everybody, you're delivering to, in this little green dot in the front of your screen, that, that causes an incredible amount of stress for teachers to be able to produce those kind of lessons. So I think in my mind, it is really hard to separate between work and home. So if you're sitting at home, and you're still working, you're hearing teachers working 15, 18 hours a day just before the next day, do it all over again. So I think that it definitely has taken a toll on our kids. It has taken a toll on our teachers. It has taken a toll on everybody that's involved at our teacher high school. But I will let them tell the story. I'm trying not to take their points, but I think that it's important for them to let you know how they're feeling and what are we doing. Yeah, so does that, is that, Accurate, the 15 hours a day, that sounds pretty awful. So the union just recently sent a survey out to all teachers about how things were going. And many of them did say, um, I I have the number somewhere, I can look them up for you, but that they were basically spending anywhere from 10 plus hours a day working on whether it's lesson plans, um, support for students, or um, grading and reaching out through emails to get in touch with our, our students and their parents. So the toll is long and the toll is hard, but asking the teachers how they feel about it, they feel that they're being successful with students. So it's even though they're doing these 10 to 15 hour days, they still feel like they're doing the best job they can do. Well, I know, I know that teachers at Artesia work hard before this before this right I mean so is it um is it significantly more are they doing more work or is it just different and so therefore somewhat harder well I would say that it's I would say that it's significantly more planning whereas uh teachers in the past um maybe 
they taught a certain way. They had certain things that they did in their class. Um, but now we're having to do those in a virtual environment. And so we're having to change a lot of the things we've done, we've done in the past and, and transfer them in, into a way that we can do them virtually and to do them in a successful way to get kids engaged. So I would say that, uh, the amount of time planning is probably two to three to four times the amount that we had to do prior. The big thing for for us, Karen, is the fact that we still are working on relationships. We know that we must have positive relationships with our students. If we're going to be successful, they're going to learn. They're going to transfer from short-term to long-term memory. So it is not just teaching. It's that acting. It's that piece of having a relationship and delivering a good instruction. If it's boring, it's very simple for the kids to turn their camera off and act like they were sitting there listening and walking away. So it's up to us keeping them there keeping them tuned in to us and to know that, you know, it is something that we care and it's important for them to learn. So how did these is is really important. I know that one of the things is all of them have the technology. We give the hotspots and the technology, but the other part of it to remember where our students are struggling is there's many of them in a small space and how do you stay engaged when your brother's right here in school and your sister's right here in school and it's a small area? So that's another area where it's hard to keep them engaged when there's multiple students. So so how did you think about the scheduling for this? I mean, are you trying to do a full school day, a, a five to six hour school day of kids in class or are you doing something different? Well, the district adopted a similar block to what we were running at Artesia. So we're running a block schedule with ads and events, Monday and Tuesdays, and Monday's an ad, Tuesday's an event, same thing with Thursday and Friday, and everybody's running together. Wednesday is a day of staff development, kind of catch-up day for the students. So they're actually not attending class other than tutoring on Wednesdays. Uh, There was a lot of discussion what schedule we're going to follow. That was actually part of the development team on the schedule and whether we're going to create this big virtual school for the whole district to be in or whether we're going to create a site-based virtual school. We really wanted a site-based virtual school because we didn't want to lose touch with our kids. We wanted our kids to be taught as we teach them versus having somebody from another school that doesn't know our kids, doesn't have the relationships to be there for the kids. But how... How, how do you think about building the relationships with those incoming ninth graders, right? You had, you had relationships with the sophomores, the juniors, the seniors, the incoming ninth graders. What did, did you, were you able to do something special for them or, or okay, what did, did a, you do? We did, a, we did a virtual orientation with, um, with all the parents and the students being present. But I think what we do that is a little bit different is, is that they have to know that we, they're still ritual, they're still part of the school. So one of the things that we're doing is we're keeping the activities program going so they know that they're in high school, so they know what's happening and everything is virtual meetings. But we're also making home visits. We're also going by, knocking on the door and being super safe, having a mask on and talking to parents, talking to kids when they're not doing well. But is it the same relationship? I'll tell you, absolutely not. And we'll teach us freshmen actually and he can tell you about his relationship with the freshman class. Yeah, I would say, though, the district really did um, think about this prior to um, the start of school. They actually built in two weeks of just um, relationship building. 
into the first two weeks of all for all teachers across the district. I mean, the secondary level. So we spent two weeks essentially doing activities that, you know, could be slightly curriculum based, but, uh, but really were meant to help foster a, uh, you know, a virtual relationship with these kids and to build that sort of rapport that you want. So we get the interaction back and forth. So I believe that helped, but I believe it's also, you know, it's, it's a constant. Um, thing that teachers need to just keep keep working at and working at and that's really where a lot of that planning comes in because you really have to plan it in a way that's going to foster that relationship so can you give an example of an activity that might be sort of curriculum based but primarily a relationship builder uh we did we did a lot of like uh, uh scavenger hunts um you know, where they maybe found something based on the curriculum. And then we, we, um, you know, we had some, a thing like that. We did do a lot of like, a, uh, maybe like a virtual bingo, things like this that were based on the, um, the vocabulary that you're using, but, uh, it's really meant more to, uh, more to have fun and get the kids talking and making them feel more comfortable with the, um, the virtual classroom environment. So, so what role has the union played in ABC Unified in working out all these details? I mean, just as background for listeners, and correct me if I say anything wrong, but every position in the district uh, that is a district person has its correlate in the union. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So, so. Were you integral to the planning for the district? Yes, the the task force that Sergio was referencing to during the summer, um, we were all a part of that as well. So we each worked with our partner person to develop and come up with suggestions on how we should reopen, what plans we should have, should we stay virtual? And we went through all of that as a team together, just as we were developing should we come back in the spring we're again in that we're in that development as well so what is the thought about reopening or going hybrid or something something along those lines knowing that it's really going to be dependent on the county as whether the county allows us to open yet but we still are putting plans together um we're putting plans together or saying going hybrid there's two different plans. Stephanie was in a meeting yesterday in which the plan got out there a little bit more. So she probably knows more than I do about the two different plans. But I can tell you that um, there is definitely an effort being made to bring kids back into school and do either a simultaneous hybrid virtual academy going on or doing two separate in which kids that remain in virtual. There'll be a massive virtual school for the district for the district and we will only be in charge of the hybrid at the school sites. However, we're not really happy with the hybrid idea simply because it lo- you lose instruction. We're going from seeing the kid teachers at least twice a week to now only seeing them for 70 minutes for a week and the rest of them being asynchronous. And there's a different plan that was discussed yesterday that provides more time for the students but I think creates other issues virtually for the kids at home. So we're still trying to work it out. We don't have all the answers as in what's going to be. We have seen districts in Orange County near us because we're the last county, the last school district in LA Unified right before you went to Orange County. 
that are actually videotaping teachers and having simultaneous virtual as well as in, in classroom instruction. And we're seeing some of the major challenges that that presents because now the teacher's not just teaching to the kids there, but now it's also acting for the camera at the same time. That could be an incredible task for people to be able to do. But Stephanie, I don't know if you can share some of the stuff from yesterday. Oh, I mean, I can just share that like what Sergio is, is saying is one of the great things about ABC. Um, it's not a top-down decision. It's everyone is included in the decision-making. We have some districts local to us that their administration came up with a decision about how they were going back hybrid, and it was a, this is how we're doing it. Yesterday, they presented it, and they shared the hybrid pre- plan that Sergio is saying. Teachers don't like it. Administrators don't like it. And a lot of parents don't like it. You'd be losing education time. So face-to-face or direct instructions, synchronous time, you would be losing. So in that meeting yesterday, they presented another idea. And instead of telling us this is the one we're going with, it it stopped at the meeting and we're taking that to our partners and we're going to have another discussion about it, work out some of the kinks and then bring it back to the staff. We were supposed to have a meeting tomorrow being Wednesday where it was presented to all of our teachers. And instead of doing that, she realized, our district administrators realized, we're not ready for that yet. We need to make sure that it's agreed upon by all participants that this is the best solution before we present it. So some of these conversations have been really rancorous uh, around the country where, you know, it seems like, well, it's the teachers who don't want to come back. And, you know, when, when really they're raising questions about the ventilation. <laughs> I haven't heard a teacher who wouldn't prefer to be back in the building if they felt safe. But like your buildings, the thing about California schools, if people, uh, if listeners don't know, they're all like one story. They're all like one door away from the outside, right? So I feel as if maybe ventilation isn't quite as much of an issue as in some of the big, you know, three-story, uh, hundred-year-old brick buildings in the east. But I don't know if that's true. Is that true? I will tell you, it, ventilation is an issue. It's an issue in the classrooms, uh, having to put HEPA uh, filters and all their conditioners, probably putting a filtration system inside the classrooms. All of that is being discussed because there is not a direct exchange of air that is happening in the classrooms. Like okay. people are saying, you know, flying right now is it's pretty safe because the airplane has the HIPAA filters. They also have the exchange of air every three minutes. The schools have not been designed for that to happen. Our school was built in 1954. And uh, so the building still standing there in, in a lot of ways. And we're modernizing a lot of things. But air circulation was not something that people really thought about as they were building the schools. Um, a lot of our special education students are sitting in bungalows that have been there forever and probably should be you know, completely demolished and new ones be put into place. So there is a lot of those issues. The biggest piece, I think, of all of this is there's a lot of fear, and I will tell you there's fear in the teacher's side, I think there's fear in the student's side. Um, it is not that people do not want to come back, it's that they want to do what's best for kids. I, like you, I have always heard, how am I going to serve them when this is happening? If you come back and you're wearing a mask, you have a shield in front of you, the kids have a mask and they have shields in front of them, 
That's not really instruction. That's not better than sitting in front of a camera. Um, you need to be able to touch things. You need to be able to interact with people. You got to be able to get close and correct things that are going on in the classroom. But when you create coming back into a model that puts all those obstacles, it's very difficult to say this is an acceptable model. And like I said, we're doing home visits. We're not afraid of our kids. We're constantly talking to them, seeing them, doing things like that. Um, actually, I was delivering Starbucks to some of the kids because they presented at virtual school board meeting and I had a car full of Starbucks and we were taken into their houses and they were really happy to see us. We're happy to see them. Um, but as we do those things, you realize that there's a huge need for social contact and schools won't be social. And schools won't be able to be social when they come back. Even in their, in their big quads, we're having to put stickers separating six feet apart. And a lot of the kids, I mean, being in high school, they want to see their boyfriends or their girlfriends. That may be the only place that they see them, but they won't be able to be closer than six feet apart, and we will have to enforce those rules. So we're not coming to an environment that will be business as usual, or at least as it used to be, not for a while. So, Tangie, I wonder if you have any questions. Yeah, first I was struck by, again, the focus on the relationships and how important the relationships are. And that's one of the things I've most appreciated by our conversation back in the spring. Wonder if the planning that you see happening has made your teachers more flexible in their instructional practices? Um, I think that more than anything, people have become very, it's basically cut up to the times in technology, those people that were not really there. And we have a lot of technology at Artesia. I think that, yeah, there's a sense of flexibility, but there is also a, a sense of exhaustion. I had a couple of meetings with teachers in which we're going over the evals for the year and we're going, looking at the goals and objectives. And as I say to them, you know, but you really got to take care of yourself and you got to set those boundaries. Tears have just started coming out and flowing from teachers saying, how did you know that this is happening? I mean, why, you know, I can't break from teaching and I'm tired. So, and that's more the norm than not. Um, it's how tired teachers are. So I think that that's really the biggest message from this. So one of the things about Artisha was that you had some really deep, like professional collaboration. William and Stephanie, is that, are you able to do that Zoomy? Um, or has that been disrupted also? I would say it's been disrupted, but I, I think we're working to do as, as much as we can. Um, I will say that, that we, they've set aside time for us on uh, Wednesdays to have that. Um, but to say that it's the same, I, I, I think that would be not accurate. But um, but there's definitely time there. I think we have to, you know, the district, by giving us that time, we're trying to be intentional and, meeting with lots of different groups and um, meeting with different colleagues. And I really will say that I've actually found that I'm meeting with much more colleagues district-wide than I ever did before. I almost feel like um, our school district has shrunk in the fact that we are now um, kind of all in the same, doing the same types of things. We, we plan a lot more as a, as a entire um, curricular teams that are um, teaching similar things. I will say also, um, Along the lines of what Sergio was saying, we uh, the the union I believe has become a lot tighter 
um, through this time. Um, every week the union has a, uh, a time where they just set aside an hour just, just for teachers to talk. There's not an agenda. There's not a, uh, um, you know, certain things that they're trying to get across. It's just basically what's going on at, at your site. What do you want to talk about? How can we help you? And it really has fostered a lot of the, by just um, getting all the teachers in our district, you know, I don't know how many for that, but quite a few. And they just get to hear all the things that are going on. And I think then they're, our leadership team, which, you know, Stephanie's a part of, could take that back to their partners and say, hey, this is really what's happening. This is really how teachers are feeling. And uh, I feel like I feel like that's been a positive um, that we really do. I really feel like I've got to know a lot more of my colleagues that worked on other sites that I really didn't have much contact with before. As far as on site, I don't feel like we have as much, you know, obviously we're not interacting personally like we do before, but, um, but I believe there's been, a, you know, there's been some negatives and some positives when it comes to, to all that. I wonder if um, you, and I know this is going to be a tough question because it's been sort of mulled around in lots of different places and ways, this idea of how are we looking at assessment, right? We know last year states, um, um, stop their statewide assessments and there have been conversations around whether states should do that again, whether they should hold their statewide assessments. How are you being able to help parents and kids and teachers know where students are academically, even in all this, you know, these trying times? How are you guys doing that kind of work? You want me to answer it or do you guys want to? Whoever, whoever wants to jump right in, I'm fine. We're still, we're still living in limbo and the idea that as the assessment states, assessments are going to happen. We know AP tests are coming and kids are working with their teachers. I think there's a lot of tutoring going on and after hours that's happening. Um, so we know AP testing will, will happen at this point. We're hoping that state testing doesn't happen because I don't think it's going to be a true measure. I was reading an article this morning and they're showing that there's going to be a minimal of a five to six years before kids catch up out of, after all these months of learning lost. And you have situations in which kids that, actually, let me rephrase that. The gap that has been created is not just the regular learning gap that we usually see. We actually have seen a regression of learning that is happening with our students, especially the ELD and our special education students. Um, our ELD students, it was interesting to me this past week I'm we just going to interject. That's English language, language development. development. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so English learners, we were going to have a meeting. Uh, we call our ELAC meeting, which is a parent uh, association that kind of supervises the ELD, ELD department. And as they were going to meet with them, there was 164 parents that said, as they called, said, yes, I'll be there. I'm going to meet there. Then all of a sudden, when we send the email out, there was only six or seven parents that responded to the email. So the calls were made asking, how come they're not responding? The reality is the parents don't know how to use email. That is not a way that they really get, it, get into their messaging systems. So we have to rethink the whole idea. And this is the, what the kids are facing. The kids are basically on their own. They have us to appear on a camera, but the rest of the time, they're sitting in situations that they have no support whatsoever, no academic support whatsoever to be able to do their assignments. And so that learning gap that has been created keeps on falling back. So if we're gonna do state assessment, to go back to the question, 
uh, we're not going to really assess what kids have learned. We're going to be assessing what they have lost in, in, the, learn, in the state assessment. That must be very painful to you, Sergio. Absolutely. Every single day I'm losing sleep yeah. over it. Yeah, I'm sure like, you I are. Get something that, hmm? No, I'm sure, I'm sure you are losing sleep over it. But I, I know Tangie is going to want this, to ask this question, but I'll, I'm going to run in and ask it anyway. I mean, we spent the summer... Roiled this the 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 nation was just roiled with kind of the the racial reckoning, and we heard from the superintendent in in Baltimore, Sonia Santelisas, that kids were actually demanding to read different books, to learn different things, to to kind of you you aren't teaching us about our history. You're you're not really teaching us what we need to know in order to function in this society. And I wonder if, I wonder, you know, where your students are on that. Is, is that, has that been part of the uh, conversation? Are the teachers kind of rethinking some of what they uh, assign or maybe they didn't need to because they were already assigning some, some we, books that were helpful? At our teacher, I think we were ahead of the game a little bit. We are teaching ethnic studies classes and we're actually gonna expand the curriculum into all our freshman success classes. So every freshman will have an introduction to ethnic studies and we will continue using our junior senior class for ethnic studies. We were the only school in the district that is doing this. And so we have heard some, a lot of turmoil at some of the other schools in the district. We haven't really heard, our, heard it from our students. Given, after saying that though, I think it's important for uh, us to put it into context. There's always racial tension at our school and we work on the racial tension and it's something that we got to work because it's a reflection of our community. We work with one of the most racist, I mean, transgenerational gangs in LA County that sits in, a, that sits in our backyard. So we deal with those situations. However, we've been able to get the message that this is something racism won't be tolerated at school. And we will take major action every single time something racist happens. We're not going to turn a blind eye. We're not going to say it didn't happen. We're not going to give you a hug until you go. You don't do it again. We're going to take action every single time something racist happens because we won't stand for it. And I think our society needs to do the same thing. It doesn't matter who, who committed the racist act. We need to deal with those situations every single, every single time that they happen. So we haven't heard much from our students in that sense because they expect us to act. They believe that we will act, and I think our kids feel fairly safe at our school. Uh, but uh, other schools in our district have seen major turmoil to the point that they have marched to the district office. And I went there seeing if my kids were there. Not a single one of my kids was part of the uh, reaction. I kind of Actually, wanted. I think no. we talked, uh, the last time we talked, I think, was on the day that you were heading yeah, off right. to, I was running. I was running over. To and, the march, yeah. yeah. But, you know, and I want my kids to have a social conscience. I kind of wanted some of my kids there. And if not because of our situations, I wanted them to be there because it's okay to protest. It's okay to sit there and express your frustration because they do have those frustrations. Uh, as a result, the district has put together a uh, alliance working specifically with African-American students throughout the district. Um, for me, it's been, please don't import somebody else's problems into our 
we have enough problems of our own. We don't need them for somebody else's problems. But there's some really good ideas. I just saw the agenda that is coming out of it and some of the things they're doing. And I think we need to expand it to all multi, be a multiracial group, not just African-American group. Um, but so far, so good. So what do they do? What have they suggested that you said, uh, you know, they've got some good ideas. I'd love to hear some of them. What, do you, what have you seen? You know, I just saw it very quickly. Um, so I almost don't want to misspeak as in the ideas that are coming out. But one of the things that I really, really liked that they were talking about, it was just talking about respect and understanding of other, of other people. Um, we have a group called CCEJ, and I don't remember what CCEJ stands for, but it's a... It has, something, something justice, right? Equal yes. justice, right? Absolutely. But I can tell you that they've been actually hired to work with the district and some of the schools that are having major problems at this time. Interesting. Um, so one final thought. Both of you are special education teachers. Um, Artesia, you mentioned Sergio has a significant population of students with disabilities, about 20%, which is very high for a high school. Um, and when I was out there, what I realized was people brought their kids to Artesia because of your um, special education program. It, it's become sort of a, not a magnet in, in a formal sense, but parents are like, I want my kid going to Artesia, right? So what, how have you adapted in this amazing environment um, the special education uh, services that you're providing at Artesia? Go ahead, guys. Well, I'll leave it for you. Take it away. Well, we, we, we do teach curriculum, and we did that prior. So we are continuing to teach curriculum. Um, obviously, um, it's in a virtual setting, but uh, we continue to teach that. But I, we've also, I think it's really changed our, um, the way we reach out to our kids. I almost feel like I'm closer to some of my kids now than I ever was when they're on campus. Um, and the fact that um, we, we have uh, a support block built in every day, for 30 minutes and I have my kids try to come in and I have them try to check in at least once a week. And if they don't, I hunt them down and uh, say, Hey, you didn't miss this week. I want to see you on Monday. And for the most part, I've got, you know, pretty good success rate with, with getting to see all of them at least once a week where that wasn't always the case before. So um, I feel like I have to keep a closer eye on them because, you know, they're kind of out there on their own at home and I don't know what their support is there. So I, I feel like I have to really, go out of my way to, to make sure that I'm that a person of contact for them. Because um, when they were at school, if they weren't in my class, I know they might have Ms. Polutsky or another one of our great teachers, and I know they're getting that contact, but I don't know that now. So I really have tried to make sure that we reach out to every kid at least once a week and, uh, and make you know contact with them, hopefully via um, you know Google Meet or Zoom. So we could actually see them, but if not, at the at the worst, via email or via via phone call, just so that we're, we're uh, you know contacting them. And then in our department meetings, um, we we join together, and one of the first things we do is we go over our caseload concerns, and we all take notes on the student that we have in our class. And if Will's concerned about one of his students that's in my class, now I'll make a point to make sure I'm keeping an eye on that student and any success or concerns, I pass those along to Will because he doesn't have that student in his class or, or he had addressed those concerns. 
we're kind of, we tell the kids, especially in our program, we say, this is your family. This is your school family. And we're here. Your success is our success. So we're working to make sure that you have every opportunity and, and that we've made you aware of everything. So we work with our kids. Not that our other teachers don't, but special ed, it, it is five moms, five dads constantly calling, hey, you know, Ms. Blutsky just sent me another email that you didn't turn in an assignment. What's going on? Do you need help? And that's pretty regular in our department. So why don't you talk a little bit about what you're doing as a counselor for special education, because I think that's a whole other thing that other schools do not do. Uh, so I'm working really hard to um, encourage our district to realize that we need to have a special ed administrator that would be the counselor of our special ed students. Um, the perspective of a special ed teacher in an in a counseling meeting, in a in an IEP meeting, is just it's essential to help in in providing the parents with help, supporting our teachers. So. Sergio was wonderful and gave me this opportunity to come up here and um, I, I am working with the freshmen, but it, it, they are not special ed students, but they're experiencing some of the same things. So I'm having the right. same conversations and I'm saying, you know, to the parents, this is, it's a freshman year and that's a struggle anyways. Now a freshman year online, you're having all those same things. So it's, it's a definite need um, and I think that it's becoming clearer as I've been up here a little bit, but I do assessments to, for the initials because I think you, you need to see from a perspective of whether that student really does qualify or they need extra supports or do they need a 504 plan or do we just need to work on managing um, through organization and, and time management and not be a special ed student? Do they just need to know how to advocate for themselves? So I think when you um, have a special ed background, you know it's not just, oh, they go, they should be in special ed. Not that any of our counselors do that. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I see that in other sites where we've gotten kids that are in, in that probably just needed a, a little support, a, a little guidance. So um, it has been a very amazing opportunity to be up here working with the students, freshman class. Whew, it's a rough one, but I, I am enjoying. I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot. Well, for the record, we need to get a copy of this tape right away. Because it's definitely <laughs> wonderful. It's going to come back to haunt you, Miss. I heard that loud and clear. I know, I know. It's going to come back. They're going to replay that tape for you. <laughs> He's going to do what he does anyways. I have right. to say. So, That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, pretend Sergio's not listening. Like, That's right. What kind of principal is he? <laughs> uh, can, you, can you mute or cover your ears, Sergio? This <laughs> yes. <laughs> there. For the record, he's putting his fingers in his ears. I, I've worked at um, five, high, five schools in our district. Um, Sergio is an amazing principal. He's extremely supportive. And the reason why we are a special ed magnet is because he's one of the few principals that actually does embrace his special ed students and their needs. In addition to saying they need exactly what the general ed students need. So we don't have a watered curriculum. We don't have a lowered expectation for our students. They do what our gen ed students do. 
You know, I remember when I was out there, I spoke with you, and I think you, if I remember the story correctly, you told me that when you first came to Artesia, Mm -hmm. he told you you would be teaching... Algebra. Algebra. And you said, you mean pre-algebra? And he said, no, algebra. And you said... You mean algebra over two years? And he said, no, 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 algebra in one year. <laughs> and it took you a while to kind of adjust to that idea. That wasn't what I was used to at other sites. It was, oh, if you think they need sixth grade and they're ninth grade, then work on sixth grade with them, build their skills. And Sergio was not that type of a principal. He's like, no, they're ninth graders. That's algebra one. You're teaching algebra one. And I did. And they did great. And it was a bit of a surprise, but... It was, it was. But there you have it. And that's Artesia kind of right there, right? Yes, yes. To be <laughs> back on what, what Stephanie was saying, I would say that the best thing that Sergio does is he he takes away a lot of the, the outside stuff and lets his teachers just focus on being a teacher. Um, there are times that we need to meet and have a staff meeting and go over certain things, but he knows that like the last month we were, we were overwhelmed. We we're going to happen to meet for district things and we're, we're planning and doing all these things. Virtual teaching is hard. And so he's like, we don't need to meet. I'm going to give you that time to do this. Um, we were talking about how to do back to school night in a virtual setting. And he basically took the ideas that the teachers had and, and made it go. And uh, so he, he kind of takes away a lot of that outside, um, I don't know, I call it like fluff and, and lets us just do our job. And, and, and because of that, I think his teachers flourish and they're able to do it at, at a high level. Now, before his head gets too big, <laughs> he is very demanding. He's sometimes not bending at all. He is overwhelming at times, but it's always with the interest of the students. You know, this is a great segue because I wasn't going to talk to you guys about this until next week. <laughs> but you know that big gap that we talk about and the fact that, you know, uh, well-to-do kids are basically gaining a lot of this and then a lot of the socioeconomic kids are regressing. I've been doing a lot of reading and a lot of looking at a lot of research. And the only way to really bridge that gap is to accelerate. That's so right. As soon as we're back to normal, we got to accelerate our kids. That's right. And we'll go idea that we used to have that once years one year's worth of learning is not enough no nope. we got to be those two years worth of learning and every one of our kids if we're going to catch up if we're going to just to catch up to where we are and eventually we need to do 2.5 worth years worth of learning if our kids are really going to be successful so we got to start thinking of ways of how we're going to make that happen yeah um uh, the student achievement partners and ed trust have been working on some work around individualized learning and thinking strategically about how to use individualized learning as a mode for acceleration. So I'm really excited to hear you talk about that. That, That's exactly what has to happen. It has to be an acceleration to deal with the unfinished learning and the unfinished instruction that kids have been experiencing. Well, I think that that is a huge challenge. And so we're going to check back with you in a while, I hope, um, if, if that's okay with you, uh, because, you know, I'm, n- I'm now completely invested in whether 
whether and how you're going to be able to do that. <laughs> and I think people listening will be as well. So I want to really thank you so much for uh, taking the time. I know you're all kind of overwhelmed. You're all working really hard. So that wraps up this episode of the Education Trust podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. If you'd like to know more about Artesia, I hope you'll read my my book, Schools That Succeed, published by Harvard Education Press in 2017. Artesia has a really interesting story that's worth knowing about. If you have suggestions for what you would like to hear about in this podcast, you can email extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at edtrust or me at Karen Chenoweth or Tangi at remarsh76. Mike Patillo records and edits this podcast through the magic of Zoom from Tonal Park. I want to thank everyone at EdTrust who supports this podcast, and thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Thanks, and see you next time.